Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. A number of years ago, my old neighbor invited us over to pick plums at his house. So our families got together and uh, it was in the fall and his tree, the plum tree was bursting with plums and the plums were like bursting with juice. They're literally like popping because there's so much juice. And so he was like, I need to get these picked and I need to get it. So it's not in my yard. So we just started picking these things. And I remember climbing up in the tree and I'm picking plums and, you know, tossing some down and our kids were playing. They were like eating them and throwing plums at each other. And it was such a good day. It was like one of those kind of sunny, cold autumn days. And it was in the middle of a national election. I remember that years ago. And I remember, you know, we started off just with small talk and talking life. And then we started talking about some of the tensions during that time with the election and all that stuff. And I remember being up in the tree and my neighbor, who's a good friend of mine now and is not a Christian. I think he's open to to faith, but he's not a Christian yet. I remember him looking up at me in the tree and asking this question. And I don't know if I got the exact detail right, but I remember this question just hung in my heart for a while. And he asked, why do so many Christians seem to care more about politics and power than they care about people? It's a really good question. And I remember thinking about it, you know, and I didn't have great answers. And I know that not all Christians are that way, not all people are that way, but it was such a true observation in that time. And I remember just thinking and kind of saying, well, you know, If that's happened, somehow, somewhere, power has been exchanged for love. And power without love is is not really power. See, when we begin giving into the temptation that the ends justifies the means, or like, if I do enough good, it will justify the bad that I do to get the good. When we start having that logic, start thinking that way, you might start off on a journey with and toward Jesus, but someday you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that you've been following a flag instead of Jesus. You've been following a political party instead of Jesus or political leader instead of Jesus. You may have started following a position for power or money instead of Jesus. See, when we start treating possessions as if they're people, and then we start treating people like they're just possessions, We know we've gone wrong somewhere. See, the question my friend asked is a good one. And it's a revealing question. And for those of you who might be tuning in and leaning in, wanting to explore faith and know what Jesus is about, or maybe you're coming back to faith to give faith, maybe give Jesus, give the church another chance. I just want to note something. That question is so good. And it reveals something about the human heart, no matter what you believe. For anyone to be bothered by injustice, disparity, sickness, evil, imbalance, or improper use of power, for any human to be bothered by that, what it means is that we have a desire for goodness. We have a desire for compassion. We have a desire for justice and equality. And I would say that deep in the human heart, Compassion, love, justice have been imprinted on us, and that imprint is from God. Whether we acknowledge it or not, well, think of it like this. 
if the world is really just about, let's, let's say, uh, a Darwinistic evolutionary theory, so let's say society is based on that, the strong eat the weak. That's how things go. The, the ones who survive are the ones that deserve to survive. The strong eat the weak. If that's true, then why would it bother you if someone who's weaker and has less and is vulnerable is eaten by someone who's stronger, is oppressed by someone who's stronger, or is exploited? Why would that matter? That's just the evolutionary process. But we know deeply, we know inside us at a deep level that that's wrong, that justice matters, that compassion matters. And I think that the question, why is there disparity? Why is there wrong? Why do Christians, especially Christians who say that they, they love people, they follow God who sacrificed himself for the world, why would they buy into something where they're harming or they're, they're caring more about politics than they do about people? It's a great question. And it reveals an imprint of compassion and love that I believe God has put in every one of us. You see, in a world grasping for power, Jesus shows us a third way in a world that says it's this or it's that it's you're in or you're out. It's us against them. Jesus teaches us the way of compassion, us for them. And I want to share with you a story about the compassion of Jesus. Now, let me welcome you. If you're new, we just want you to know that we're so glad you're here with us. Whitewater is a place you can belong before you believe. You can explore faith without any pressure to make a commitment to faith. We just want you to feel free to explore. So whether you're brand new to Whitewater and just tuning in and kind of checking things out, or you've been coming for a long time, we are going to be looking at a series of teaching about the compassionate way of Jesus, a third way in a world that's this or it's that. Jesus teaches us a new and different way. And it's something I think all of us need, whether we've been following Jesus for a long time or brand new. It's something we always come back to, the compassionate heart of the Father and the compassionate heart of Jesus. This sermon series is going to be three parts. It's one story, but it's three scenes. And these scenes, I think, give us like windows into the heart of God. And my hope is, as we go through this teaching, that we would see that God is compassionate towards us, toward you and me. And God wants you and me to grow in compassion for our world. Here's the three scenes we're going to be covering. The first scene I like to call the desperate father. The second scene I'm calling the desperate daughter. And then the last scene is the compassionate father. So today, we're covering the desperate father, a window into the compassionate heart of God. Scene one. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it should be on the screen as I read it. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Verse 22. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. So just to give some context for the story, it says a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus, arrived. So this is happening in the town of Capernaum. It's on the Sea of Galilee. And Jairus is likely a wealthy man because he's the leader of the synagogue. It also means he's likely a Gentile who's hoping to become fully accepted as a Jewish worshiper. So he's like the president of the synagogue. He runs it. He's well-respected in the community by the Jewish community. 
and he's trying to gain full acceptance. And so his position matters to him and he's trying to earn or merit his way into full acceptance. And it goes on to say in verse 22, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, this would be completely shocking, weird moment in Jewish culture. The president of of the synagogue runs to Jesus, who's kind of like this really polarizing figure during his ministry. People loved him or hated him. And a lot of the religious leaders, especially synagogue leaders, Phariseeism or the group called the Pharisees, their religion or their faith was based around the synagogues, like these local faith communities. And many of the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. Some did, many couldn't stand him. They were the group that actually ended up crucifying Jesus or being part of the the conspiracy that did. Now, him throwing himself at the feet of Jesus is, there's a few things that are, I think, really important to know about this moment. The first is that this would be embarrassing for him. It's an embarrassment for him to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. It's shocking. The people he's trying to earn his way into their approval, like the Jewish synagogue, like a lot of those people would look at this as uh, shameful and embarrassing, and it wouldn't be helping his chances to continue to be the president and, and gain full acceptance in their worshiping community. The other thing about this is that this is, to me, this is a complete act of desperate love. This is a father who doesn't care anymore about how he looks, how he appears, the, you know, what he wants to be in the community. The, the, this man, Jairus, who is trying to seek position with the worshiping community there, just doesn't care about that, throws himself at the feet of Jesus because his daughter is dying. A complete act of love. Notice the language here. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, like Jesus, please come yourself. Lay your hands on my daughter. That means he believes that there's healing in the hands of Jesus. He believes Jesus is something special. He believes that if there's anybody that can help his daughter, it's Jesus. So important. Like, I think he's realized, like, as much as I want approval from the religious leaders and my community and my culture, none of that, the leaders, community, the culture, none of it can bring my daughter back from the dead, but this man just might. And then he says, heal her so that she can live. I mean, he just, he just wants his daughter to live. This desperate act of love reminds me of a moment in my life where my mom actually went in and had surgery. She actually had multiple surgeries and our family had planned, it was like a month after the surgeries where she would be healed and, and, and back up on her feet to celebrate her healing, celebrate her recovery. And we, she really wanted to go to Disneyland. So we all went to Disneyland and uh, it was such an exciting moment for our family. But little did we know that the stitches that the doctors had stitched her up with internally, her body was allergic to. Doctors didn't know it. We didn't know it. And so like her body was slowly rejecting these stitches. And what we thought was like a moment of celebration of her healing was actually a moment where the stitches had gotten to a point where they just, they broke and burst. And she, she began hemorrhaging and bleeding internally while we were on vacation in Disneyland. My dad knew something was horribly wrong and there's internal bleeding. And so we rushed my mom to the hospital and this uh, just 
total, it was so surreal. Like we were supposed to be having joy and fun, happiest place on earth, just turned into a nightmare. I, I remember when we got to the hospital, I mean, we just, we just flew there. I went up to the desk and my, I remember my dad, our whole family's kind of huddled around and my mom, she's real tough. She doesn't like to show that she's in pain or hurting. And she's just like crumpled in this wheelchair. And my dad's like, my, my wife is bleeding. Something's wrong. Like we need to see a doctor immediately. And, you know, the, the nurse there was looking at my mom, my mom, you know, she's like this Scandinavian tough woman. She's, she looked like she was Okay. So the woman was like, okay, sir, we'll, we'll have you go to the back of the line. We'll take care of her. We'll get her taken care of in a little bit. And I remember my dad just gathering all five foot six of him and him just looking square in that, in that gal's eyes. And, and there was a few other people at desk and he said, my wife needs help now, now, now. And it just went dead silent in this in this emergency room, everyone looked over. The nurse was kind of like, Who? she didn't want to cause a scene. It was just like shocking. And I got to I gotta say, my dad uh, is a pastor. He's been a Christian for years and years, most of his life. And it's not normal for him to yell uh, or have you know, outbursts like that in public at all. I just remember this lady just was like, okay, this guy's gone crazy. We need to move them into a back room. So they moved my mom and my dad into a back room. They asked us to, to stay out. They just wanted to kind of remove the problem and not have a scene. And my dad said when the nurse, just because they had her in the back room, checked my mom to see how she was doing, her face went white. She ran out of the room. And later, after they had done another surgery on my mom to repair the damage, a uh, doctor told my dad, if you hadn't insisted and demanded that the doctors act, you could have lost your wife. My dad was demanding, crying out on behalf of his wife. He knew something was wrong. And this moment is like that this father is just beside himself. Jesus, you're my last hope. You're the only thing that stands between my daughter and death. Would you, would you please do something? And I love Jesus' response to the desperate love of the father, the crying out of the father for his, for his daughter and her life. Jesus went with him. Jesus responded with compassion. And all the people followed, crowding around them. Everybody followed and they began following Jesus on this, this response of compassion. And Jesus didn't embarrass the man or like humiliate him or say like, that's weird. Why would you do that? Jesus didn't ask for like what political party he was a part of to filter whether he should help him or not help him or, you know, his political beliefs or how often he went to church and how good of a, a leader of the synagogue he was. He, Jesus didn't ask, what, what are you going to do for me? Like Jesus responded in utter and complete compassion. You see, compassion is seeing a situation or someone that moves your heart to action. It moves your heart to action. Without action, there is no compassion. See, sympathy says, oh, that's sad. Compassion says, I'm going to do something to help. I want to give you two takeaways from the story of the desperate father. The first is that Jesus responds to everyone with compassion. Jesus responds to everyone with compassion. It says that Jesus went with Jairus. If we are struggling, Jesus goes with us. I mean, that's one of his names is Emmanuel, means God with us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, 
not for God so hated the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God has compassion for you and me. The second takeaway is to reach out for someone else, like Jairus. There's going to be moments where we have people in our life who are sick, who are hurt, who are broken, who can't move for themselves or can't advocate for themselves. And God has put you and me with the eyes to see the issue and the ability to say something and to seek help. We might not have all the answers. We might not have the skills to to help them fully, but we can advocate. So reach out for someone else. Advocate for the vulnerable, the broken, the hurting. Jairus didn't care about, you know, what his synagogue or religious leaders would think of him. He acted in an act of desperation. He cried out to Jesus for his compassionate love and power and healing. And God is doing that today. The same God, the same Jesus that was at work in the pages of the New Testament, it's the same God, the same Jesus who's at work in our lives and our world today. Like my dad advocating for my mom, she needs help now, now, now. Some of us need to like, we need to advocate and quick, you know, <laughs> equivocating. We need to really, we need to make sure to, to raise our voice for those who don't have a voice or can't raise their own voice. God has given you eyes to see people that are unseen to others, whether it's in your family, it's in your friend groups, or maybe you just have a heart and you see people in culture and society. You have an ability to reach out for the vulnerable, vulnerable moms, or for kids who are in vulnerable places and vulnerable spots in their lives, people who are homeless, kids who are in foster care systems, having a heart to advocate for minority groups or immigrants, uh, people from other cultures, people who are sick, people who might be family members even that need help. Just the ability to see hurt. And then say something, reach out to Jesus on their behalf, reach out to help them. The key is to have compassion before correction, to have compassion before we decide whether they're worthy of our action and our compassion. Jesus, he loves people indiscriminately. Luke 6.36 says this, be compassionate, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. As God is compassionate to us, we are to be compassionate to to the world. Our world is going through a real hardship and sickness with the pandemic. And there's there is so much brokenness that has come to the surface, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. And Christians, our response is to follow Jesus in this third way, not this or that, us versus them, in or out, but following Jesus in this way of compassionate love and kindness. When I think about my friend's question, why do so many Christians seem to care more about politics and power than they care about people? I think one of the simplest answers to that is that if Christians are struggling with compassion, I think it often means they've forgotten, they've forgotten their compassionate father. They've forgotten the compassion of the father for them. They've given into fear and started unintentionally following something that will give them the life they think they want. And so they're grasping. That's what we do. We exchange our love for some power that we think will, will get us this life that the world says is so great. 
I want to ask the question, what would happen to the world if we decided to live compassionately? What would happen if Christians were known for radically following the compassionate love and kindness of Jesus rather than the ways that the world say are so important? And I think a world like that will be a world that raises people from the dead, where people are healed, where people are loved. Where there's a spiritual dynamic and peaceful presence that change us and changes our culture. So may we live the compassionate way of Jesus. I want to encourage you to come back for next week. We're going to be taking a look at the second scene of the story that I call the desperate daughter. It's an incredible picture of compassion. Right now, I want you to listen to a friend of mine who is an advocate for the foster care community. At Whitewater, we partner with a, a nonprofit called Olive Crest, and they are advocates for the foster care community. I've created a foster care community, and they are doing wonderful things. And I want you to listen to a friend who's been advocating within that system and also for, the, for people that are in that community for a long time. So check this out. I think I see Jesus more in foster care than I've seen him anywhere else, which is just exclusive to my experience. He is everywhere else, but you get to see a lot of him there. It's really easy to demonize what has brought a child into care when the reality is brokenness is the same in their family as it is in our lives. It manifests differently sometimes, but we're all, we're all in need and of grace and we're all in need of help and we're all in need of support. Sometimes that gets misconstrued. We hear about the abuse and we hear about the neglect and we, we miss the context of sometimes why that happens. One of my teens, um, I have had the privilege of walking with her for a couple years now, and she honestly has one of the most complicated trauma stories I've ever seen, um, and involving extreme trauma from her birth family and then extreme trauma from an adoptive family. And so she's back in the system from her adoptive family. And she found out that she's pregnant and she's 16. I got to go to her ultrasound um, about two weeks ago and we were waiting for the ultrasound tech to come in and this wave of emotion came over her and she asked me to pray um, because I'm tight with Jesus in her words. <laughs> and so with the four of us circled up in a circle and we're praying for her and the baby and the ultrasound tech came in and kind of was like caught off guard and was asked her like, oh, who are, who are all these people with you? And she looked around the room and she said, this is my family. And I just thought, wow, what a picture of what God's doing and also what he does with us. Like, I think if someone walked into Whitewater and was like, what are all these people doing here? I'd say, this is my family. Well, how are all these random people your family, right? Like, but that's what God does. By having a church say, you're not invisible, we see you and we're gonna celebrate you and we're going to celebrate with you and for you and for them um, is, it's, it matters more than I can say. Thanks again for joining us this week. 
At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.